Hello, everybody. I'm Paige Soya. Welcome to the latest episode of High Stakes. I'm the managing director of K Street Capital, as always. And today's episode is going to be about technologies that we have been seeing in the C-suite, specifically around employee sentiment, which is becoming more and more of a hot topic. And we've got two of our investors on this episode, Ed Ingle, who formerly led Gov Affairs for Microsoft and then started an advisory firm, New Lantern Partners. And Jonas Seeger, also a K Street investor, who's a two-time, I think, successful agency business owner in the digital space. And among other things, probably most people don't know this, not a secret, but he's kind of my secret comms weapon at K Street Capital. So he's done a ton to help us on that front throughout the years. And then the start of the show, of course, Felina Strandberg, who's the CEO founder of The Now. So with that, why don't we do a couple of intros and then we'll get started. So I guess, Jonah, do you want to go first? Sure, Paige. Great to be here and uh, really looking forward to this conversation. As you said, I have spent the better part of the last 30 years in and around public affairs and policy communications. I have started and led two communications agencies, digital creative agencies focused on advocacy, politics, and public affairs. My second company, Connections Media, I led for over 15 years before exiting with a uh, UK-based holding company. Uh, and uh, I've been a longtime investor in K Street. I have been a part of this group since 2014. Uh, seeing a lot of its evolution into a much more professional organization, and, and I'm really glad to be a part. Thanks, Jonah. Uh, Ed? Uh, also glad to be here. I think uh, it's going to be a great discussion, uh, particularly relevant to this discussion. I spent 16 years at Microsoft, where I oversaw the federal and state government affairs, working closely with the internal communications folks, the C-suites, et cetera. And, and during that time, also ran the Microsoft Political Action Committee for those 16 years and served as the uh, political director for the company. I left Microsoft four years ago, actually four years ago this month, to help a friend start an online marketplace called Polygage, which provides access to, on demand to expertise and uh, public affairs and, and uh, government affairs. And also start my own firm and reach out to four partners who I'd worked with over the years, and we provide corporate affairs advice and counsel to to startups, to early stage companies, and to nonprofits and all sorts of businesses, but enjoy working with them. But I'll particularly draw on my experience from my Microsoft days, which I'm, I'm excited about, to, with what Selena's doing. Yeah, this should be a very interesting conversation with all four of us on here. And Selena, if you could give a quick intro. Sure. Um, hi, I'm Selena Strandberg. I'm founder and CEO of The No. I started my career as a management consultant at Deloitte uh, here in the federal practice in Washington, D.C. Um, I moved into go-to-market strategy in Silicon Valley. Um, I was out in, in Silicon Valley for about five or so years, mostly in HR tech. And so I've led go-to-market strategies at a couple HR tech companies, launching and scaling new products, new product verticals. I moved back to D.C. in 2020, just before the pandemic and launched an election tech company called Know Your Vote. And about a year ago, we launched The Now, which is communication software for internal comms teams to respond to the news so that they can better manage risk and manage their stakeholders as well. Perfect. So probably people can tell how this is all going to come together here. But let's first talk about why tools like this and and technologies like this are why is there such an I think need for immediate sentiment analysis at especially at some of these larger companies? I can jump in on that. Uh, 
if you go back 15 or 20 years ago, I, we wouldn't really be having this conversation, I don't think. In the last 10 to 15 years, I think what you found across corporate America, you have found, at least been my experience, you found employees who are a lot more active. They're more emboldened to speak up and share their, their thoughts with management at the very highest levels. And because we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years a much tighter labor market, they're much more in the driver's seat. And, you know, whereas 15 or 20 years ago, companies by and large could get away with saying, well, you know, we only, we only talk about and address these certain amounts of issues, which we consider business centric. And some of these other issues, particularly those issues that are sort of that pop up from a social standpoint, we do not speak to. And so companies were able to use that up until here in the last 10 or 15 years when things changed and employees have been much more apt to share their opinions. And it's been, it's so it's important, you know, for every issue basically now potentially has a business impact because if your employees feel strongly about certain issues, that can impact your business. So C-suite managers uh, are increasingly understanding that. So the, the type of tools that can measure that in real time sort of a, you know, when you have sort of late breaking news and issues that pop up, I think provide tremendous value. I'll just add to what Ed said. I think that there's, there's a couple of trends that, that are converging. One of them is that, that the necessity, the importance of understanding what's going on within a business and how to position, respond to, to trends and themes. Um, the other is uh, that the increasing sophistication and, and now availability of, of LLMs and AI, which makes this sediment analysis at scale possible. I mean, going back 25 years, it's always been a desire of, of mine and agencies like mine to, to try to engage with employees, both internally and externally to understand, uh, you know, I, I won't single yet. I've been a company like Microsoft with tens of thousands of employees for the sake of advocacy on issues that, that are in the news, how to, how to position and how to understand employee sentiment has been one of the big challenges going historically because as I always sort of shorthand it. Understanding the difference between bad meaning bad and bad meaning good has not been readily available until now. We are now at a place where the technology uh, is sophisticated and available enough to make it possible to have a much better granular understanding, actionable understanding of employee sentiment and how to utilize it. I don't want to like take this on too much further. I think what Ed and Jonah said is like really hitting the nail on the head. The only two things I was going to add to that are more broadly speaking, global and workforce trends that I think are really at play here. This is the first time that we have five generations in the workforce. So as Gen Z comes into the labor force, what they're expecting out of their employers is very dramatically different than what my parents' generation, which is still in the workforce, is expecting out of their employer and, and what they had seen historically. There's a lot to be said about the impact of Gen Z and millennials in the workforce. And there's a lot to be said about the way that the workforce has become distributed, largely in, in part due to the pandemic. It also just seems like, at least from my perspective, a lot more CEOs and leadership of these companies are more vocal about their own personal and political opinions in the media. And that has created lots of issues, I think, for their companies in terms of their employees not agreeing with them and them not knowing that ahead of time before they've said things. And um, yeah, I think that's super true. We've just yeah, I mean, 2020 was really a catalyst for that. Of course, the murder of George Floyd and, and the, the BLM follow on from that. Obviously, very important social conversation, really significant moment in, in American culture. But how to respond to that, how to, how to position 
and speak to these issues of sincerity and importance from the C-suite is not always obvious or easy. And so having having more granular understanding of that becomes very important for all the reasons that matter, right? Uh, retention, recruitment, that the value of the brand as it's, as it's conveyed from the employees. And of course, from the advocacy side. So there, there are lots of converging reasons why this moment is ripe for, for these kinds of tools. So Selena, maybe you can share, and this can be in broad strokes here, but how tools like yours can enable executives to differentiate between you know, their genuine concerns versus background noise. Yeah, that's a super interesting question. It is one of the first things that really stood out to us when we were doing product research in this space. The sense that it was very difficult for executives to separate signal from noise. And I think that you touched on something just a second ago is this kind of idea that executives are very vocal about their political views now, you know, sometimes willingly, sometimes from like a reactionary perspective. But what came out in the signal versus noise problem was that a lot of the reacting that's happening is happening from gut. So like a CEO thinks maybe this is how the workforce feels. And so that's kind of the tack they're taking. And so what we do is our algorithms help to separate that problem by aggregating and anonymizing sentiment in the workforce across a number of different geographies and populations. So we're able to call out if it's really actually kind of a small population that is particularly vocal about an issue. And, and maybe that's really what the, the, the C-suite is hearing. Or if it is a larger segment of the population or, you know, interestingly, if it is a specific segment of the population that needs to be addressed, especially interesting for executives who have diverse workforces, who have teams spread out across the world where people are experiencing and being impacted by different issues than maybe HQ is experiencing. Yeah. And, and Jonah, anybody else can speak to this, but, but Jonah, especially, I'm just curious your thoughts on how digital strategies around real-time sentiment can affect a company's you know, potential ability to be successful. Well, it, it, it's there, there are obviously a myriad of ways. Um, this conversation is happening in real time across every corner of the internet, and all of all of the uh, company's employees are, are essentially representatives of that brand. And so, understanding that the shape of the contours of that conversation, being able to create content that amplifies the themes that are that are important and derived from those insights to to reinforce the, the values of the brand becomes very natural and very important. So digital strategy ultimately is about meeting people where they are and having material content that, that is engaging and that can be shared and, and widely distributed. And so having a granular understanding of, of what matters and what's important increases the probability of being right. Uh, and especially on some you know very high profile hot button issues where you sort of don't have an opportunity or you don't really have the benefit of being wrong as a, as a corporate communicator. Anything that gives you insight in, into what really matters and, and how to speak to those stakeholders in an intelligent way, actionable way, is useful. And then, Ed, from your perspective, I mean, tools like this, how, how do they fit in from a public, public affair and public policy perspective? Well, I have to admit that, uh, you know, John had talked about how long he'd been involved with K Street. I don't go back quite as far, but I've been involved for three and a half, going on four years. And, I, and during that time, I've heard tons of pitches from great startup companies. But when Selena, a couple of months ago, pitched us about this, it really struck a chord with me in the sort of way, not to age myself, that, you know, I, I don't know how many times in my life I've looked at the cell phone or the internet and said, wow, what I could have done with that in high school. 
you know, when Selena started talking about what she's doing at the no and the sort of real time sentiment measurement tool, I thought, wow, what I could have done with that at Microsoft and what others could do with that. I spent so much of my time responding to some sort of a lot of late breaking news and a lot of them are generated in the political sphere, you know, whether it's some vote in Congress, whether it's something that's being said, whether it's some candidate that's that's obviously caught the attention in a good way or a positive way or some late breaking news. And all of a sudden, you know, whether it's some Supreme Court decision that obviously has a political undertone. And so companies have to figure out how to respond. And so many of them, I was Selena who said, have have heretofore have responded to, you know, it's in the C suites, whether it's the top communicators, the CEOs, et cetera, they've responded to sort of their their gut in some ways and sort of what they consider their corporate values and how they may talk about that both externally and internally, which is important to them. But at the same time, a lot of that, and then reflecting on, well, here's what we're hearing from employees and what I found in my experience, and it's, and it's, it's going to be the same at almost every company, no matter if it's big, medium, or small, is that you're typically going to have a small group of employees who may tend to be more vocal on certain issues than other employees. And those are the ones that you hear from, and they're more comfortable in letting the CEO know how they feel about it. And, and that can be good. But at the same time, it can give you the impression that that's what all employees are thinking of. You know, it, it's an extremely important and very attractive tool. If you can, in real time, be able to walk into a CEO's office or a top communication office and say, look, this just broke as you saw three or four hours ago. Here's what we're seeing, our, how our employees across the country, across the globe, and how they are responding to that, which gives you as, a, as somebody in the C-suite, a, a lot more tangible, hard data than versus here's what some of our employees say, which by and large are typically the loudest, smaller employees. Well, just to expand on that, I, I, a lot of the traditional tools that, that C-suites and uh, human resource officers have to try to get a handle on that are, are sort of old school polling surveys, things that are, you know, require uh, sort of understanding the contours of what you're trying to understand before you can understand it, which then naturally limits uh, the, the degree to which you can see things coming that you wouldn't already know about. So the ability to get deeper and to not just real-time and distributed, this is obviously more important now with the rise of hybrid work and uh, companies with, with distributed workforces, big and small, but the, the ability to kind of be more open-ended to understand sentiment is is something really new and really interesting. I was just going to add quickly that I think you're both touching on something interesting that we have heard really consistently, which is that existing options are very reactive. And something that just an interesting anecdote is that we've heard consistently from executives that often employees know more about the issue than they do as it's happening. Because when you think about the nature of like executive work versus IC work, the executives are in meetings throughout the day, whereas often ICs have the opportunity to be at a desktop where they can see the news and where they can be having conversations with employees. So often there is an issue that has already broken and spiraled by the time when an executive actually sits down to understand what it is. So it's it's very reactive in the current state. So that kind of leads me to my next question, which I think is it may be a harder question, but is something that we think about. I mean, in the venture capital landscape, of course, when we look at deals, we want to we want to understand what 
the business case for that investment is and how is it something that can scale? Does it have a big enough market? What are people willing to pay for it? And I think that's sort of the, the, the question I'm asking you is like when you think about the financial impacts of all of these things we just talked about on a business, you know, how big are those impacts in terms of dollars and, and what does the range look like? just to give people an idea of how important this really is to the bottom line of a lot of public companies. Yeah, so it depends on the size of the of the company itself, but at a public company with 10,000 plus employees, it's literally millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars of executive time that goes into triaging these issues. The problem that really eats up a lot of time is figuring out what the issue is, figuring out guessing at what the response should be. But then a lot of it is aligning internally. So it's never just one person that's doing it, especially at a large company. It is always the CEO who him or herself is directly involved because it's their name that's on the line. It's always the CHRO, the CCO, a couple members of their teams below them, the most likely COO, chief of legal policy. Like, There are so many functional areas of a company that have to come together to put out the right type of response to an issue like this. And when you look at the man hours and salary, I mean, those are all hefty executives inside the organization. So the cost in response alone is enormous. And then typically that money is going kind of retroactively to a PR comms firm to help kind of triage the the response after a mistake has already been made. And so, yeah, we look at it kind of as executive productivity and executive time as two of the big contributors. There's also kind of, you know, employee retention comes into play there as well. Company culture kind of to a lesser degree. But those are those are the things that we look at in terms of kind of crisis comms response as the as the first order of kind of market that we look at. Yeah, I, I wish there were these tools for us smaller companies as well. And one day, maybe there will be. Yeah, because it, it's the same problems, right? Maybe not as big of dollars, but the same problems. Um, I was going to speak to that. I I yeah, ran team of, of forty people. You know, not not a huge mm-hmm. operation, but certainly felt big to me in in many days. With an office in D.C. and New York, and some people working remotely, and then a cadre of freelancers and and consultants that that you know rented it out. And I think we had a happy team, a team that was engaged, a, a sense of common mission and, and values. And, you know, we didn't have crisis like we're talking about here. But even in the well-functioning, successful organization, it was often hard for me to really understand what, what people were thinking about and how to, how to talk about issues. I mean, this was particularly important in the, in the months after the 2016 election, where everything seemed to be just like cascading in ways that no one really understood. And so how, how do we speak to the concerns and the questions that legitimate questions that people have about what's going on and what does this mean for our business and how do we think about the world now? I had to go by gut. And, you know, I, I think that that's the way most executives lead. And so having more information is always better. But I think that the, the granularity of actionable insight, even in a team of 20 or 40, is is really valuable and important because I spent every day thinking about it. Is my team doing the best work that they can? Are they going to stay here? Am I going to be able to hire the kind of people, kind of talent that I know that I, I want to recruit and retain? Uh, and how does the, the kind of tip of that spear affect the, the client interactions and relationships that are the bread and butter of a, of a services business like my So uh, even in a 40-person, in a not a 40,000-person 
operation, I think having that actionable granular insight is, is really, can be really valuable and powerful. Yeah. I would even go as far to say that in a six person team like mine, it would be valuable because on a super, super small team, if, if there's something that's really bothering the culture that you don't know about and you lose two people on a six person team, that's huge. Yeah, before COVID, so many times we're all sitting in the same office. So you, you not only know yeah. what they're thinking, you know what they had for lunch, you know what they wore that day. You can feel uh, it. You can, you can handle it. Right. Yeah. But, but nowadays, uh, with so many, but so many people working remotely, it, it is important for even the smallest teams. Exactly. I, I just think about on that, on that uh, theme, too. I think this is an important and interesting intersection. There is a fairly robust set of companies that are doing employee productivity and sort of engagement tracking. And a little it's a little creepy. You know, it's like the boss is looking at your emails or looking at how long you're, you're on Slack or what sites you're looking at. Putting that creepiness aside for a second, just the, the kind of the narrowness of, of those interactions. Um, important productivity, the time that employees are spending. We've talked about that already, but missing this larger context of how people are thinking and feeling about things that matter to the business. And so I, that's one of the things that I'm really excited about about Silicon is doing because it's, it's getting beyond this more narrow kind of all this euphemistically call it bossware industry that is you know, doing something valuable, but obviously, from my perspective, not getting to the core of what is really actionable and, and insightful. Totally could not agree with you more about that, because, you know, for us, it's like we base our success off of the results that our team has. It's result. We're not getting the results. You know, one of those reasons might be that somebody's not really working that hard or sending enough emails that day, but that's only one of a million other things that could be causing it. So I think there's just a lot there to unpack that can be valuable for teams and companies of all sizes. So that leads me to my next question, which is how do we see this type of technology or companies like to know evolving, you know, with real-time feedback systems in the corporate world and beyond? I guess what I'd say is as excited as I am about what Deno is doing and its potential. Careful uh, doing that. I don't like where this is getting, going. Getting this right is really going to matter. I mean, like the, the, you're, you're dipping into a stream of conversation and uh, signals that come from employees interaction with content. And so your, your granularity has to match the need and the opportunity. And so I'm, I'm very confident that this will evolve in, in a way that gets to that objective. But I think that is the key. It's got to be actionable. It's got to be correct. If you're, if you're basing internal communication strategies or brand or the narratives around what an employee and a company's, the values of the company are speaking to the employee, and you get that wrong, you've set yourself back even further. So being being accurate, being actionable, I know that is is an objective of this business, but that I think is what's going to really make or break it ultimately. You know, Jonah mentioned internal communications. I, I do think I would underline that in terms of the potential that something like the no has here. When I first heard Selena talk about what they're doing, it struck me as we t- talked about primarily is about how it can really help in the external communication and give a CEO and senior executives the tools they need to at least have have as part of their data set is sort of how employees are feeling. But I think on that internal communication piece, I think that's the one where I've witnessed, I've watched, I've been there, where senior managers senior executives really struggle when events unfold and sort of how do you talk to your employees about it when you know that they that something needs to be said. If there's a shooting in Nashville, if there's 
you know, something that happens overseas, if there's something that happens in your backyard, you know, having a better handle on what employees across the board are thinking of and what they're thinking about these sets of issues in real time, I think it's really important. And I think we're going to only see these tools continue to grow. And those, as, as Jonas and those who you really put their shoulder into it and, and, and get them right and, and overlay, you know, what uh, employees are looking at at the same time and what they're actually talking about, you know, those who sort of get that right, I think will be, will be those who succeed. But it's, I think there's a, a really strong need for this sort of thing, both internally and externally in community. Yeah. So Selena, how do you feel about that and, and thinking about your company and the vision of it in the long term and how it might evolve? I think so. I'm going to hold off on com- like long-term company evolution if I can. Sure. Uh, but what I was going to add to the kind of the space developing is that, I mean, my personal thesis on this space is that in the in the next kind of decade, internal comms as a function really starts to blow up. I think that, and I, by that I mean like expand, not <laughs> go away. I think it expands and takes on a much larger role. I think that more and more topics will continue continue to be addressed by companies. They'll need to be addressed in really nuanced, thoughtful ways. I think companies will expand internal comms teams, especially as the market rebounds. And I think that I really think you can't underestimate the impact that the shifting generations on the workforce. And that requires more built out, more frequent, more robust internal comms. I think the companies too that have really struggled with some of these, at least geopolitical events, oftentimes probably could have better handled them earlier on with stronger internal comms before some of their issues became public and became, you know, front page stories. So my take obviously wouldn't be building in this space if I wasn't like pretty bullish on the direction of where it was going. But I think internal comms as a function is is positioned to expand over the next decade. Okay, so this is a question more for Jonah and Ed and myself, I guess, if we're thinking about the risks in venture capital for backing companies like this. I mean, we kind of talked about the one that I always think about and continue to think about is just when that there's going to be some kind of inflection point where companies realize that. And once there are these tools and technologies more prevalently used in the space and CEOs very feel like they can't survive without them, then all all these companies will will buy in. But I think the price point is going to be will need to be relatively high. So it's a it's a it's not a fast buying product. It seems like it's something that takes longer to sell. And the question is just when is that inflection point? So to me that that's like that's the thing I think about all the time. But curious Ed um Jonah, if you have other thoughts on the challenges of this particular space. I mean I guess I've already spoken to one point of it, which is sort of glaringly obvious but important, which is that it's got to demonstrate that it 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 works and that it's effective and that it's useful. And uh, again, I don't mean to say that because I don't think that the no will miss that mark, but I think that is the, that's the proof in the pudding, right? That's the um, first, sir. Uh, and the, and the second is, I think that the, um, you know, that we're in a moment of where everything AI is at the top of people's tongues and, and interest, both as, as communicators and as investors. Uh, and so there's a, there's a wave to ride here that I think is real and, you know, important. But but the promise has to also ha- of AI has to really deliver. I think we're still in a in a place where we see it. Those of us who've worked, I mean myself, Eddie probably see this too, as someone's worked in technology for the better part of 30 years. This reminds me, this moment reminds me of the early internet, this just incredible explosion of potential. 
And we're seeing demonstrations of the value already, but there's still kind of the beginnings of the use case. So I think that that also has to evolve in a way that the ultimate purchasers of, of these solutions understand how they work and what they're, what they're actually doing and, and what they're delivering. And none of that is without risk. But I think that, that, you know, I certainly think of it this way as an investor. I, I look, I look at the opportunity. I look at the team. And what I like about what the know is doing is that I think you've got a great team. And I think that is really, really key. And so, you know, I'm very bullish on the potential here and, and what, what this company will ultimately be and look forward to being along for that ride in whatever way I can. Thank you. Yeah, I look at it in terms of the, the large number of stakeholders, I think, who would benefit from this if you if you were able to land this play the way you'd like to. It, it, we've talked a lot about chief communication officers and those dealing with external and internal communications. But again, just based on my own experience, your HR leads are going to really want a piece of this. They're really going to want to see the data and the sentiment for that for their own internal communications and decisions they're making. The government affairs and public policy leads corporate affairs, you know, so there's any number of stakeholders inside, you know, a, a big trend that we're seeing in corporate America, of course, is all these employee resource groups. And that's one way of really getting people in a room or getting them on a Zoom call to really, you know, around certain sets of issues based on maybe their own affinities or their, you know, their, their own interests, et cetera, et cetera. And I think this can help those groups as well. So I think, I think there's any number of, of key stakeholders inside a, a company today that would benefit from this. And it's making sure, I think early on, that those early stakeholders uh, see the benefit and they're engaged and they're able to participate in, in what you're sort of bringing to the table. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Well, I guess on that note, any final thoughts or advice for companies uh, or founders in this space that are that are building technology in this space? I think, I, look, whether it's this space in particular or, or bringing something new to the table like Zulina is doing, I, what strikes me, again, sitting in some of these pitch sessions, is that you can't manufacture passion and you can sort of see it when you do. You, you've, you know, as a founder, there needs to be a certain amount of passion behind what you're, what you're bringing to the table, what you're bringing to market. And uh, if you don't have that passion, not that it can't be done successfully, it's just that you've got a lot of headwind. I think I want to believe in somebody who, number one, when I hear it, I go, wow, I need that like yesterday. And number two, does that founder, are they passionate about what they're doing? Are, you know, are they putting their heart and soul into, into this? So I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in, in that sort of passion. Couldn't agree more. And it's so hard to find, incredibly hard to find. So that's I think that's the through line in the K Street success stories that we've seen to date. It, it's exactly Definitely. as I described it. And, you know, it, it's a tale as old as VC, but it's it's true. And I think that 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 is the best way to answer that question is is passion from the founder and, and confidence in the ability to execute. Especially because we invest at the seed stage when it's the very beginning. There's a whole long road of challenges and changes and curveballs that are that are going to come. And if the founder's not all in and very passionate about what they're doing, that's just going to be tailwinds to your point, Ed, <laughs> or headwinds rather. Cool. Any other final thoughts? Can I add a piece of advice? Please. My piece of advice for founders, I, I paused when you first asked that because I was like, oh, which piece of advice? I know, right? <laughs> um, mine was going to be uh, to talk to your customers. 
Talk to them consistently. Talk to them when they're your customers. Talk to them well before they're your customers. I think part of the reason that we were successful in getting investment from K Street, which has been fantastic for us, is that we had talked to so many customers early on in the building process. And so we understood the customer pain point. And as it so happened, a lot of the members of K Street were on the other side of that table and they also understood the pain point. So I think that just like general good founder advice for building something is like, certainly listen to your customers. Doesn't mean customers always 100% right, but it does mean what the customer is saying is, is, is often at least in aggregate the direction the product should be going and you should listen to that really closely. Yep. And also, I'll just end this by saying congratulations, Selena, because I know you closed your seed round relatively recently, a few months Thank ago, you. in Thank one you. of the hardest markets to do that. So um, we're, we're glad to be along for the ride. Well, we're super stoked to have you. This could not be like a better group of literal experts on the exact topic that we were building on. So K Street was worked out quite well. Yeah. Great. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks.